Well, all right. Praise the Lord, everybody. We've got a, uh, a special treat for you guys today. Um, uh, I'll be introducing for the first time for some of you, uh, for the umpteenth time, <laughs> uh, for those of you who have been around a while, uh, it is, I am so excited. Uh, this is my first time as, as pastor, uh, having you guys here. And uh, I'm just bubbling over with joy. Uh, it's my distinct honor to uh, introduce to you guys Bill and Tammy Woods. Um, that I, I want you guys to go ahead and stand. I want you guys to come up. Bill and Tammy Woods. Hold on, those of you who know them. All right. I want to clap, too. But uh, <laughs> no, uh, I want you well, come on up. I want everybody to get a good look at you. Uh, I, I'm always excited when a, another guy's head shines as much as mine. Uh, is, uh, if I could stand by that guy, that's awesome. So, no. <laughs> but c- come on up, man. Come on up. Don't be shy. Yeah. That's a new thing. That's a new thing. <laughs> it wore off quick. But uh, have you guys been 21 years at uh, in Chiapas? In Chiapas. So uh, uh, Bill and Tammy uh, are missionaries in Chiapas, Chiapas, Mexico. That God called them down there, and he's done amazing things. I'm not going to give their testimony. I'm going to let them share that. But But these guys are... Uh, the best of the best, the cream of the crop, <laughs> and uh, it, it, what they're doing for God, you know, uh, I'm excited for them to come up and share uh, whatever God's have, God has on their hearts, and I'm sure it's going to include what God is doing there, Amen. and uh, so you guys know what you're sowing into, um, what, you're, what, you're, what you're giving is enabling for the kingdom of God, and how people are being tremendously blessed, so uh, this they are from this family. This family loves them. We love you guys tremendously, and it is uh, it is an honor to have them come and uh, and share uh, the word this morning. Um, how many of you have never heard um, our story, our testimony, or don't know anything about us? One, two, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, maybe I'll just kind of back up a little bit and. Um, We were in Romania from 1993 through 97 serving as missionaries. And on our initial trip down to or over to Romania, uh, we were on a plane with some really crazy people. And uh, and on that plane, we happened to have a, a jacket on that said Romania or bust, I think, was our jacket. And and um and. Lo and behold, we were also on the plane with a group of crazy people from Stillwater, Oklahoma. And, uh, and that one of Teresa and Dell and Steve and Becky, I can't remember who else was on that team, but we, we really got to know each other in the Amsterdam airport. And Bill and I were actually um, going to Romania to live and to serve, and we just hit it off with the people from Oklahoma. And we served over there for about four years and uh, helped with the orphanage. And Steve and Becky and Dell and Teresa made trips back and forth over there. And we built up a friendship. 
And when the Lord was calling us back um, to the United States, we felt the Lord would begin to speak to us that we were about to change countries. And as we were being called back to the United States, um, we had been sent out actually from Detroit, Michigan, but had no desire to go back north. We're, I'm from Texas, Bill is from Arizona. And Brother Dale, we're in Florida, and we're praying and asking the Lord what our next step is. We were resting a little bit, and, and, um, and Brother Dale calls us, and he says, we're about to have a prophetic conference, and we'd like to invite you guys here um, for this conference, and we'll, we'll pay for you guys to fly to uh, Oklahoma. And we, we came up here to Oklahoma, and there was a conference, and it was with Brother Stanley. There were several men here, and they were praying for different people. And we were right up here. And the prophetic word that came was, this is your home church, and these are going to be your people, and these people are going to support you and help you, send you out, and and it actually became our home church. And um, that's how we came. It was very, um, for me, very supernatural. We were here for um, about a year and a half, two years, going in and out of Mexico with uh, the teams here, and then we were down in... Um, Brother Ben's place in Tamaulipas, when the Lord uh, opened up a door for Bill and I to go down into Chiapas, Mexico. And we had heard of the state of Chiapas mostly because of the martyrdom. It's one of the only places on this side of the world where there had been a lot of martyrdom in the 80s and the, and the 90s. There were lots of Christians lost their lives there. And so I wasn't really excited. I thought, well, I can go down there for two weeks and <laughs> kind of sneak around and then come home. And But we got down there, we started teaching. We were on the coast of Chiapas, about two hours from the Guatemalan border. And the last day uh, we were there, this woman walked up to Bill and I, and she said, we have to have a Bible school. We've been teaching about 40-something pastors there. And you guys need, and she was pointing at Bill and I, there was a group of maybe 10 or 12 of us, and, and she said, you, you need to come and start a Bible school. And I'm th- it's hot, by the way. It's so hot. And, and I'm thinking, I'll pray for that. I'll pray for somebody to go down there and just do that. And, and, um, and so, uh, but it stuck. And when we came back to Stillwater, every time we prayed, it was Arriaga, Arriaga. And that was the name of the town that actually we stayed in a hotel there. And, and um, we said, well, Lord, it'll be a month of miracles if you really want us to do this. And so um, out of the blue, we get an invitation to Mexico City, and someone paid for us to fly to Mexico City to another conference. And during that conference, someone, we didn't have enough money uh, for us to get on to Chiapas. A man walked up and gave Bill and I about $1,500. He just handed it to us. And so we paid for tickets. We flew to Chiapas. We didn't speak very much Spanish made our way from the capital city on a bus. I was, I knew I was going to be kidnapped at every moment all the way down there. Um, and so um, they kept saying, be careful for the taxis, the taxistas, the taxi drivers. And we get in a taxi right out of the airport and we're driving and driving. I'm thinking, this is it. We just got kidnapped by this taxi guy. I was so sure that I was being kidnapped that I took my wedding rings off and I stuck them in my, in my shoe. And, um, but anyway, we, we survived and then we um, we figured it wasn't a kidnapping, and we managed to get on a bus and make our way down the mountains to the coast. And uh, we got a hotel room, and uh, without knowing it, we got there at the hottest time. It was even hotter. And we said, well, what do we do? And, but, and so we kind of walked around, not very smart, because it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and you never walk around at 2. That's siesta time. It's so hot. And um, and just came back and we're a little depressed and saying, Lord, were we just crazy? Did we not hear you? Whatever. 
And Bill said, well, we could rent something. And I said, how are we going to rent? We don't even know how to say, do you have a house for rent? Or, and so he said, well, he had a big solution. I'm going to go get a paleta. And a paleta is a popsicle. So his, he said, I'm just going to go down and get a popsicle. And so there was a little, a little store that made homemade popsicles, and he went down there. And, um, and when he got the popsicle, he turned around, and there was a sign. And the sign said, Se renta una casa. There was a house for rent. So the man spoke a little English, and he said, how big is your family? And Bill said, well, there's two of us. And he said, no, 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 this house is way too big for two people. So we asked to see it. Long story short, the next day we went, as soon as we walked into that house, we knew that it, it was kind of a hacienda built around a kind of a, a courtyard, and and um, and we knew. We just knew. And so we gave all of our money to this man and signed some kind of paper on it that we didn't know what we were signing, and we told him, we'll be back in a month. And we had no way, no money, no car. We'd been missionaries, so we didn't have even have a car to get down there. Came back to Stillwater. We prayed asking the Lord, and Dale the whole time, Dale is the cheerleader, this is the Lord, you guys do it, we're behind you, and he's just cheering us on, and um, <clears throat> so we came, we came back here, and we were praying, and the Lord did a miracle, and um, we ended up, maybe some of you don't know this, but someone in the, the church gave us a, a car, a vehicle, and we had, um, we put all of our stuff in it, and a little rodeo, a little uh, Isuzu rodeo, and we got in the car, but we don't tell people about our uh, that we need money. So we didn't say anything. And so as we're leaving, we don't have enough money to get all the way down there. And everybody's saying, okay, guys, we'll be praying for you. And we're going, okay, okay. <laughs> and we drove out of Stillwater without enough money to make it. And we got to Waco, Texas, and I've been praying, Lord, we have to have a, a computer. We've got a way. Um, our laptop had just blown up, and and um, we have to have a computer. And we stopped in Waco, Texas, at the campground there in Waco. They had a little conference going on, and we were there. And um, some Mexican man discouraged us about going to Chiapas because it was a little dangerous. And but we still felt we were supposed to do it. And this man walks up, and he hands me. He said, "The Lord said to give you this," and he handed me a brand new laptop. And then before we left, someone else walked up, and they gave you one of those Pentecostal handshakes, you know. And it was filled with uh, a roll of money. And that was enough money. It got us down. I mean, we made our way down to Chiapas. Chiapas is um, the last state on the Pacific side, right before you go into Guatemala. And um, we made it down there, and we had this house. We had enough money to pay the rent, and then we were on the floor. We had no, we were... um, just we didn't have anything with us. We had a futon mattress that we'd rolled up and stuck in that little G, uh, that little car, and um, and didn't know anybody because of this area we didn't know anyone. We didn't speak Spanish and we didn't have any money. And but what we had was a call. We knew that the Lord had called us, and um, and so the first little bit was pretty rough. It was pretty. It was a real testing time and. Um, Bill had stuck a $100 bill in a little magnet, and he'd rolled it up on, and put it in one of those um, magnets that you stick a key in under your car, and that was for emergencies. Well, we were broke, so that was, you know, and Bill was praying, and when he was praying, he heard the Lord tell him, 
Bill, who do you trust in emergencies? And Bill said, well, Lord, I trust you. And the Lord said, then why do you have that $100 bill stuck up under your car? <laughs> Give it away. And so Bill came and told me, and, and, um, and I said, okay. And this, this little pastor, came, I don't know how we met him, but he knocked on our door, and Bill gave him the $100 bill, and then that was it. And it was about six weeks of where we had a, we didn't have a refrigerator, but we had a ice chest, and we had <clears throat> some ham and some bread in that. And anyway, it was a tough six weeks. And then all of a sudden, it was like the heavens broke loose, and people started calling us without us saying anything and saying, the Lord told me that I'm supposed to buy candy Clogson, um, she called us and she said, the Lord has told us that we're supposed to buy you a sound system. Somebody else calls and we're supposed to buy chairs. And, and it just started like that. And, and all of a sudden the provision was there. The provision just started. And we started a Bible school within a few months of us starting down there. We don't know how people knew about us, but we started with 60 something students that first year. We went seven or eight years with the Bible school going um, I don't know how many people came through the Bible school through those years. Some of our, our leaders have been through the Bible school seven years. They just kept going through it every time it would open. But through that many, a lot of people got born again um, and then didn't have a church. And we didn't really intend to start a church because, as Bill said over and over, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a pastor. But he's pastoring. And so um, it, it turned into a church plant. And, I mean, I'm trying to just jam it all together here. And... Um, so we ended up starting this church and then we had the Bible school going and then, um, Bill told me, I think we're going to get into orphan work again. And I'm going, I don't want to, cause it's hard. It can be so heartbreaking. And we had been in Romania, uh, working with orphans there and, and I wasn't quite sure I could handle it again. And he said, no, it's going to happen. I said, well, if it's going to happen, they're going to knock on the door and I'm going to know it's the Lord. And he said, you think that the, some orphans are going to show up knocking on our front door? And I said, I have to know that it's the Lord. And then just not too long after that, somebody knocked on the front door. I opened it, and our first three girls were standing outside. Their hair had all been shaved off because of lice, and a, a couple was with them and said, we've closed down another orphanage for um, because of um, abuse and we want to know if you'd take these three girls and I was looking into the face of two eight-year-olds and a nine-year-old and they looked up at me and said hi mom <laughs> mom mommy mommy and um and so I thought okay I can do it with three we can do this with three three little girls and and so then the next thing was about a month later was it a month and they um, they showed up and they said, well, we couldn't place these two little boys. So there was a five-year-old and a four-year-old little boy. And I'm still thinking, okay, with five, I, we could do five. We can do five. And I think we have like at, at count right now somewhere around 48 children. And um, because we just couldn't stop. We just couldn't stop. Well, I couldn't stop, I guess. <laughs> He, he's, he has actually come home several times, and I've said, I had a surprise for you. And there'll be three kids, three new children sitting there. And so we started the orphan work, and then, wow, through the years, amazing things happen. If you get a chance and you um, get on the website, you can see some of that. The Lord had given him a vision uh, some 30-odd years ago that we would one day own a ranch, and that ranch would be a place where children would find healing and um, through a series of amazing miracles a few years later. The Lord gave us the first house, 
Um, it's a huge house, and it was amazing for our children to grow up there. We were in that home for 13 or 14 years with our kids, and then the Lord gave us a ranch. And there's testimonies, amazing testimonies to all of this. And the Lord gave us 200-and-something acre ranch. And then <clears throat> on that ranch, we didn't have enough money to put a chicken. And um, much less a fence or a barn or a tractor or anything else. And then the miracles started on that and all the things that began to happen for us to raise up the ranch. And um, I think we're running, I don't know how many, we've got lots of rabbits, probably about five or 600 rabbits. But we sell rabbits um, to different restaurants and different people. We have 60 or 80 head of cattle. Um, it's just been amazing. We have horses and um, all of our laying hens and chickens and stuff like that. It's just uh, we have orchards that we planted. We planted about 1,500 trees. And so we have amazing orchards out there. And um, we know our ranch workers, and we run a camp for fathers and sons every year. And just amazing work that happened through the ranch. And then a few years into that, I need, I'm trying to hurry it up. But a few, a few years after we got the ranch, the Lord, uh, one time we, were, we, we had this house out there that somebody had felt led to help us start the first big ranch house. And, and then they, didn't, they never came back and finished it. And so it was just the concrete um, the platform or the cement, what is it called in English? Foundation. The foundation and some poles out there. And I would go out there and I would sit and I'd say, one day I'm going to sit on this porch with my coffee, with my friends. And, and I would imagine, I would just imagine all that was going to happen in that place and how the kids were going to enjoy all of it. And, and um, so it sat like that for two years, but I'm out there one day and I said to the children, and they were all pretty little back then, I said, we're going to do something fun. We're going to march backwards. And I got everybody moving backwards like this. And we started marching backwards around the house. And we marched seven times around the house in reverse. And I said, okay, now when we get around that seventh time, I want everybody to yell that the walls will go up and not come down. Okay? Because we've done it in reverse. And so when we did it in reverse and at the end, everybody was yelling and screaming and, and that thanking the Lord that the walls were going to go up in about, was it maybe within months? It was just months. Um, someone called that there had been a donation of $200,000 in Canada for our work. And uh, a Jewish man who was not a believer um, heard about our work and wanted to donate to the work. And with that $200,000, we put our barns in, we put that house in. We got a lot of our infrastructure because we didn't have electricity pulled out. Our wells got dug. I mean, amazing things that happened. And so at that point, it wasn't, the house wasn't big enough for all of our family. I kept thinking, well, Lord, how are you going to do this? And, and we had been helping with the clinic. And there was another missionary that we'd heard about from Lubbock, Texas. And um, this, this brother, we uh, stopped by one day to see him. He started his missionary career at 70 years old. He was retired, went down there on a short-term um, trip, and lost his heart to the people of Chiapas. And he had a burden for their eyes. They had lots of cataracts. They had a lot of problems with eyes. And he raised up this amazing clinic where they did free cataract um, surgeries, cornea transplants. They did amazing things there. Very rustic conditions, but um, doctors would come down. And, but he didn't speak hardly any Spanish. And by then, Bill and I were a lot more fluent. And so we would go and help translate. And sometimes they'd push me in. Well, Bill did that to me. Um, they had... <laughs> 
they said, oh, we need nurses. And Bill said, here, use Tammy. <laughs> and I'm going, I don't like blood. <laughs> and, um, but it was amazing. I really, it was an amazing time. And Bill and I would pray with the people. Sometimes they would have two to 3,000 people out on the property waiting for surgeries. And they would do surgeries almost day and night. And um, they'd have these campaigns. So we got to know these people, not necessarily very close to them because they came in and out. And so then one day, they had their their work was probably maybe 15 minutes from our ranch. And um, one day they call us, and the man is 90 years old and has decided to retire, um, mostly because he had cancer and his wife was struggling as well. And in the they couldn't seem to get it turned over to the Mexican nationals. And so they donated the whole property and the clinic and everything to Bill and I. Um, it was 12 acres with five homes and big building, other build, big buildings. They gave us the vehicles. They, they, they turned the whole ministry over to us and then said, we still have some money in the bank, so we're going to give you um, about 1000 or so dollars a month. Um, and that will keep you from having, because my thought was, oh, no, the weight of trying to take on that kind of responsibility and paying for everything. And for two years or more, wasn't it about two years that they they sent money and helped us so that the, the new property wasn't a real burden on us. So I'm saying all that. The Lord raised up the church. The church at the same time was just moving forward. Many people were being born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. There was miracles happening. We've been there 20, um, 21 years, and we're in the process right now of building a big church building, and um, the Lord has blessed our church, has blessed our, our families. A lot of um, our children are getting older now. They're getting married. We're um, going to have our grandkids through our children. We've got several children that have gone on through the university and have, are, um, are now um, doing great. And then we have some that are not doing so great, but I'm praying, and we're praying them through. Um, we get kids. We just, our last group was six, a, a family of six. Their dad had beat the mother to death in front of them. And um, we we got the whole family in. And so that's what's happening in Chiapas. We're still there. <laughs> and um, most of the time I feel like we're just nuts. And then I look at him and I'm like, I'm conf- it's, uh, for sure we are absolutely nuts. <laughs> Um, but it has been the most amazing adventure and walking in faith, trusting God. The Lord's opened up so many doors for us as now conference speakers. We travel and we're able to speak in different conferences around Mexico and just amazing things that he's done. We've taken also, we've been asked to cover churches. And so we've brought other small churches, you know, under um, our wing and, um, it's just, I said, I, sometimes the thing that people say to me, um, a lot of time they'll come up and they'll say, um, most of the people call me mommy, mommy, <laughs> what would we have done if you hadn't come? What would we have done if you hadn't come? And watching marriages be restored and families be restored. And, and I think how important it is that we listen and we respond and we walk out. One time, Brother Dell, he, um, he said something about what, it came up about what was the, the secret of having success on the mission field. And I, my only word was perseverance. Even when you're dead tired and you are just, um, you've just been wrung out and you don't, I mean, you just have gone through one trial, another trial, another trial. Or you deal with different things and, and, and you just keep walking. You just keep trusting God and taking that next step and saying, I will not quit. 
I have been called, and the results are up to the Lord, but I will not quit. And when the Lord says that, when you get a, you've got a mountain in front of you or you've got a giant in front of you, you have to let that faith well up in you and say, if you don't move, I'm coming through you. If you don't move, I am going to walk right through you because I know who I am in Christ Jesus and I know that I've been called and there is nothing in this world that can stop me from fulfilling the call of God in my life. And I just want to encourage you, listen and respond to God because there are people waiting to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ through you. There are people waiting and you need to hear the same thing from their lips. What would we have done if you had not obeyed? What would we have done if you had given up? What would we have done? And I just encourage you today, don't quit. You have to keep moving forward. And you have to hear. And don't be afraid. Even when he calls you to do something that, I mean, there is nothing about what we're doing that we're qualified for. Nothing. And, and I, I, I look at it sometimes and I think, this is crazy. We have, I have a whole mess of handicapped kids and I'm not qualified. But God has provided. God has taken care. God has sent me the right people to help me. And so please, I beg you, get on your knees and find out what your call is. And you move forward and persevere in that calling. And if you get a chance, come to Chiapas. Okay. What, what's the time frame on this? I don't want to. Uh... You're right. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's funny, I have a, an app on my watch, and our church right now, we have a, a, a bus that's going around picking up people, and, and they, they announced, we're about to go by this spot, and so I saw the bus was passing by, and people were saying, we're waiting on this corner, so right now they're getting ready to have church down there in Chiapas. And we're blessed because we can be here and, and the church still goes. And uh, we're blessed because uh, the, the, the facility is beautiful. It's, uh, we have probably about 300 people in a very small town. It's about 40,000 people. So we would be considered a mega church. <laughs> well, I want to pray, okay? Father God, I, I need you. I know that you're here. Our desperate desire is to hear your voice and not just hear it but be transformed by it lord holy spirit i, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and, and a heart to receive and and the will to obey what you want to share with us lord father god we know that these are hard times but you prophesied that they would be so we shouldn't be surprised but you also promised you were right here with us so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to read a passage of, of Scripture out of Exodus 33, 1. It says, For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. So the question was, so how will the people know who we are? And that's kind of the question I want to I pose to you guys. 
What makes the people of God distinct from other churches, from other religions, from Krishna and Buddhist and Hindu, Muslim? What makes the church of Jesus Christ distinct and separate? Is it the way we do church? Is it how we have services? Is it how we preach? What is it really that makes us unique? What makes us relevant? That's the word I want to use, relevant. And to understand what, when something's relevant, I'd like to use the, the, the opposite of being irrelevant. <laughs> okay, sometimes I feel irrelevant. But it's like if I go into a court of law and I'm, I'm presenting my case and I present a, a witness that is just presenting opinions or circumstantial evidence, the judge will say that's irrelevant. It has nothing to do with the case. You're dismissed. Please leave. It's not relevant. What is a church that's relevant? That the testimony that we bring to the world is relevant, is important. It brings our case. It makes the case for God. What is it? Are you with me? Okay. <laughs> so, I was thinking about this the other day. And I, I have some of my greatest revelations in the bathroom. The Holy of Holies. And I was, uh, I was thinking about, I, I was asked to do a message on this uh, for some pastors in Mexico. And, and it came to me, the idea that often we confuse um, relevance with relatable. We want to become a church that's relatable, but yet not relevant. Or we confuse those two things. When I say relatable, we, we, we tend to think, well, maybe I'll change the way I talk when I'm preaching, you know, and, and I'll change my clothes so they're, they're, they're more culturally hip, you know. I become a, a cooler pastor, or, you know. I can, I can untuck my shirt and just leave it hanging out or, you know, whatever. Try to, try to bring the culture into, into the church so it's more relatable. But does that necessarily make me relevant? I can change the way I speak, you know. I, I can actually have cooler language and, and, and less King James. You know, I, I can change and actually bring the culture into the way I speak so that I can be relatable but not relevant. I, I can even make the church more of an experience. I, I want it to be cool. I want it to, to be an event. You know, I want it. Maybe I need to entertain them a little bit, tell them a few more jokes. You know, I don't tell jokes. I just am a joke. <laughs> I've actually tried to tell jokes. It never works. So it just be me. But anyway, often we, we want to create an experience in church because we think that's what makes us relevant. You know? And I'm not opposed to media. I'm not opposed to tech. I think it's cool. But when it becomes the reason or it's what we think will make us relevant, we've missed the mark. God didn't call us to be relatable. Actually, we're going to bring division. And actually, you see a lot in the world today, we, we're bringing division. People, Christians are, are becoming less and less likable because we are the very thing that holds the Antichrist or the spirit of Antichrist at bay, the church does, especially the relevant church. Because often you see a relatable church, there's, you, you listen, it, but there's not that... <clears throat> You know, there, there's something missing. What is it that made the early church re relevant? 
Just think about that. What was, the, what was it that made them relevant? Was it the preaching style of Peter? Was it the way they dressed? Was it the facilities they had? Was it the programs that they developed? No. There was one thing or one person that made them relevant. It was the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, we can see immediately they became relevant when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to respond to the Holy Spirit. I mean, they had a blowout revival, 3,000 people in one day. Now, that's relevant. I mean, the, the people had other options like we do today. There were a lot of different churches they could have been involved with, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the Essens, whatever. There were a lot of options, cultural options, things that made them more comfortable. This was not a comfortable group. You know, actually, they were all the, the multitude went over there when they heard the noise out of the upper room, and they thought they were crazy or drunk. So really, culturally, this was like odd. But there was something really relevant about them. Power. Manifest power. The presence of God. The conviction of the Holy Spirit fell on the people and it changed them. We have lots of relatable churches without transformation. They can transform their facilities. They can transform their style. They can transform the church culture or the programs. But at the end, if they're not relevant because the Holy Spirit's not there, what do we have? A wonderful social event that everyone can hang out, have coffee, and go home. And be happy that they did their thing for God. I want to be relevant. Last Sunday in church, we, we had a young man who came from a, a Bible school with his um, Bible school students. They come every year as part of their, their, their Bible school. They have to come to do a missions trip. These are all Mexicans. So we had been preaching, Tam was preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit because we actually had leaders that weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we're going, whoa, something's got to happen here. And so she had already preached a message, and I was going to preach the next Sunday on the baptism. But then this group came, and I said, well, why don't you preach on it? And we're going to use your team, and we're going to pray for the people, and, and we're going to get them baptized. So he stood up, he gave his testimony. He was a drug dealer, he was did some pretty bad stuff and he got born again got filled with the the spirit and when he got filled with the spirit the thing was so supernatural you know it just transformed his life so at the end of the meeting we we called everyone forward and uh we were relevant the holy spirit came there were people all over the place speaking in tongues some on the ground i mean but it was wonderful And they were changed. And that made us relevant. We are relevant because he is. I I really want to challenge you. I mean, I I look at the world. You know, down in Mexico, I watch news. Just to stay current, not relevant. (laughs) And I I watched what happened during the elections. I I listened to what the media says and, and... I think, God, we're really, this is it, isn't it? We're, we're, we're falling headlong into the end times. Jesus is coming. It's biblical. Jesus is coming. He said this stuff was going to happen. And, and so are we prepared? 
I mean, are you really prepared? Do you have your roots deep? When the stuff comes, and it's coming, you guys are going to be anathema. If you're really a believer in Jesus Christ, and you follow the word of the Lord, and you speak the truth in public, and you shine like he calls us to shine, you are going to be a problem for the community. You're going to be a problem for the society, and they're going to have to do something about you. You can just see that on Facebook. I mean, Tammy made a, a, just a simple comment the other day. You know, we're, she hardly ever gets on it. And it wasn't even political. You know how it's all this Black Lives Matter, and et cetera, et cetera. And she just made the comment, and, and it was a picture with all kinds of different people, and that all those lives matter. Unbelievable. It was not just negative. It was, I'm coming for you. Al ataque. And I thought, wow, it, what, what is that spirit? What is that spirit that has to grab a hold of this thing and just, and it was just a loving comment. Speaking truth in love is going to get us killed. And it is getting some killed in countries like Africa, India. They're dying because they believe in Jesus. Never come to our country. Who would have ever thought that that being a Christian would be a problem. But if you want to remain relevant, stay on your knees, stay filled with the Holy Spirit, and obey what he says. Because it's wonderful to have this wonderful meeting, and the scripture talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean just be filled and we're done. Yeah, I got filled, great. No, it says being filled. It's an ongoing Thing, you need to be filled constantly. And in that being filled, each one of you uniquely has a call to go into the community, to go into your business, into your family, and be that Holy Spirit witness that could transform their lives. You need to take a risk. That's what living by faith is. Living by faith is hearing the Holy Spirit when God, or by the Holy Spirit, told Philip, Philip, there's that Ethiopian, join yourself to him. Now, if he wanted to be relatable to the Ethiopian, maybe he would have looked at his clothes a little bit, changed a bit, you know, got up there, listened to the language, maybe changed the language and say, hey, can I get up there with you? No. Holy Spirit said, go. He goes. And you know what happened. I mean, it was a supernatural, divine appointment Change this Ethiopian who was a leader, who knows what he did when he went back to his, his community. Some of you might say, well, well, how can God use me if I've never been to Bible school and I don't know that much about the Bible? What about the Gadarean demoniac? Do you remember that story, right? Jesus goes over there. He's full of demons, legion. Thousands. It says he comes running up to Jesus, falls on the ground, of course, and the story is Jesus casts them all out. They go out into the pigs. The pigs die. Now, Jesus, I think that's a really impressive story that for one man, Jesus crossed over through a storm to deliver one man. Then it says he got back in the boat, and the man's going, I want to go with you. Please. I love you. Wow, you changed my life. I want to go with you. You can teach me. Jesus said, no. What? 
What kind of discipleship program is that? At least give me like a, a, a brief course. Tell me what I, how, how am I going to do this? He said, go and tell your story. Go tell your story. Of course, he was known all over the world, well, all over that area. And it says he went to all the cities of Decapolis. Decapolis means 10 cities. So he went through these 10 cities, a relevant man, because he had been transformed by the Holy Ghost and set free to minister. So how many of you are chicken? The Holy Spirit will speak to you and he'll say, go talk to them. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, not me, Lord. I, I, I don't know how to speak, Moses. I, 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 I don't talk very well. And so you freeze up and you don't do it. And then later on you go, oh, I feel so bad. I just, I knew God was speaking to me. We had a lady in our church the other day. She's really sensitive. And um, she gave this testimony that she was with a man who was a non-believer, and the Lord spoke to her uh, to, to witness to him. And she began to witness to him. And at the end, she said, would you like to receive the Lord as your Savior? He goes, no, I'm, I'm not really ready. I don't think it's my time. Two days later, he was dead. Two days later, he wasn't sick. He was just dead. Who knows what happened in the interim, but she was obedient. Had you, can you imagine how she would have felt had she not obeyed the Holy Spirit and he died? At least she knew he said no. But I really want to, I mean, this is to challenge you. I mean, what we're doing down there is nothing. We are obeying what Jesus called us to do. We're not special. We're not, I'm not really, I was going to say, we're not, I'm not really that intelligent. I'm very bald. You know, I, I, it's whatever he sets before us if we do it. And we do it with all of our hearts. We are relevant. We are relevant to the moment. We are relevant to that person. We are relevant because that's what he, he empowered us to do. And some of you can impact lives that nobody else can. And you've just discounted yourself because you don't think you're, you're worthy enough or that you're smart enough or that you're articulate enough. That's just baloney. That's, that's not true. The Christ in you is capable of doing all of that. I haven't even got to the second part of my notes. That's good for you guys. If I, if I go back to that scripture where it says, for how then will they know that you that we are his people? Except he goes with us. So the difference between a relevant church and a relatable church is that he's with us. I was surprised the other day. There was a church out of Nashville. I was telling Steve and Becky last night. There was a church out of Nashville. A progressive Christian church. Now is that an oxymoron? That's like. Army intelligence, I don't know. Jumbo shrimp. They published a, a, a thing on Facebook that said, 
the Bible is and the Bible isn't. And this is a very large church, probably two or 3,000. And on one side it says, the Bible is not the word of God. The Bible is not inerrant and is fallible. The Bible is not a science book, which we agree on. This, the Bible isn't a, a compilation of wisdom books. It was five points. And on the other side, the Bible is a, a compilation of, of um, historic documents. But it was all focused on humanism. Then on their website at the bottom it says, we embrace all, and it, it lists the whole, everything that the LGBTQ, whatever group he says we have leaders we ordain they're in our leadership this is a church that calls itself a christian church i don't know is it me (laughs) christian means follow christ and i if i don't believe it's the word of god then who am i following if it says it in his word and i believe it's the word of god i don't care what anyone else tells me it is written therefore it is And you know what? The world's going to try to tone you down. I remember one time Tammy and I were were on on uh, an escape in a place called Huatulco, Mexico. It's in Oaxaca. And I was sitting on a chair on on the beach. And in the bay, there was a really large rock. And on the top of the rock was a Mexican flag. And I remember sitting there looking up at that flag and, and just... Had this picture in my mind of, the, of of a person swimming from the the beach with the flag over to this and climbing. It was really it was a rock, and he had to climb up and placing the flag. And I imagine that that was what Jesus did when he raised the standard of what holiness and righteousness is. He 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 crossed that that ocean of of sorrow and pain and and climbed that mountain. Golgotha and he died up there and he he said this is what holiness is this is what serving my father is this is what being a Christian is and he planted it up there then I had this this thought all these people were on the beach and and now they want to get up to where the standard is they want to reach that standard and so they they swim across then they climb up and and then they get almost up to it and they say oh this is just way too hard this is just way too hard. Nobody's going to come up. Nobody's going to come to church. The standard's just way too hard. How are we going to ever attract people because the standard is, let's just, if we could just move that flag a little bit lower, I'm sure, and it's not going to change a whole lot. It's no big deal. Come on. Just modify it a bit. So we take the standard and we move it maybe three yards down. Okay, that's good. And sure enough, there were some that are, yeah, they're, they're a little bit stronger, or they, they're tougher, and they reach it. But the, the guy looks across and he said, this multitude of people on the beach, they go, wow. But look at all those people. And look what happened when we moved it a little bit. We got some, right? Let's do it again. Come on, really, what did it cost us? We just lowered it some. Okay, so they lower it again. Now it's about halfway down the rock. And the people see that the standard's lowered. Man, they dive in the water and they, they start coming. And all of a sudden the church starts filling. Oh, this is cool. This is cool. This is working. And sure enough, 
we have to make a big, bigger building. We have to create cooler programs. And to top it all off, I think we just need to move the standard right down, level with the beach, so when they get here, they're in. And so when they come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we're just going to, oh, don't worry about that. That's no big deal. God's not angry with you. He put all that on Jesus. Don't worry. You know, just say, I'm sorry. Go on. It's okay. Chill out. Go have some cappuccino. And to me, that is the difference between a relevant church and a relatable church. Often to be relatable, we begin to lower the standard. We begin to move what was fixed by Jesus, by the word of God. We begin to move it and think, it's okay. Just a little. Tammy used to tell this story to the kids. I always thought it was pretty funny. About, you know, things like saying bad words or stealing or whatever. She said, well, there was this guy one time. And he was babysitting his kids. And so, but they had a problem. These kids were, they, they wanted to watch a movie. It was a really cool movie. But they knew it had some scenes in there that weren't so great. So they came to dad because mom would never let them watch it. And they knew that. But dad was there. You know, dad's easy. I get called that. right? Dad was easy. And so they came, hey, dad. There's this movie we really want to watch. Does your mom let you watch it? Well, hmm. he said, but dad, it's only got a couple of bad words. And there's this one scene. We'll close our eyes. You can turn it off. You can cover up the TV. It's no big deal. So the dad, well, well, let me think about it. And so the dad was thinking about what can I do? So he goes into the kitchen and he starts making brownies. You know the story. Yeah. And he adds a little bit of the dog's poop. Just a little bit. Not much. Just a little bit. And the kids can smell the brownies. And Time to eat the brownies. They all come in. He's cut them up. He put them on the plate. He's, Isn't this what? These are really good brownies. Are you guys ready? Yeah, yeah. Said, Wait, there's just one thing. Just one thing. And it's not much. It won't hurt you. Just a little. I put some of whatever the dog's name, poop in the. No. Yeah. But it's just like the video. It won't hurt you. Just go ahead and eat it. And he kept encouraging them to eat it. They wouldn't eat it. What's wrong with you guys? It's just a little bit of poop. They wouldn't touch it. He said, so why do you want to watch the movie? It's just a little bit of poop. They were convinced. But see what happens. We, 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 we want to drop the standard down. I want to be relevant. So I'm going to wear a wig. Oh, no, that's just trying to be relatable, right? <laughs> There's another picture. Oh, well, I'll tell you this story, too. When uh, Tammy and I lived in Waco... Are we okay? When we lived in Waco, we went to work for a boys' ranch. Well, I grew up in Arizona, and I was always picked on by, by cowboys. We have a lot of cowboys in Arizona. And I was just a, a, a nerd because I was in theater and music, you know. There were all these weird groups in high school. I don't know if you guys had those. There was the jocks, 
and the actors, the, the dopers, the cowboys, they all had their cliques, right? Well, I was with the, the, the thespians. Yes, I mean, we were all thespians. <clears throat> well, I had a really bad prejudice against cowboys, I have to tell you. So we went to work at this boy's ranch, and in my mind, I mean, all the ranchers wearing cowboy hats and the big belt buckles and the boots and everything, I'll never be one of those. Uh, I just refused. I couldn't. I mean, how? That, it was just, it's not me. I would feel like a clown. So what, how long did it take, Tam? Like a month or so? I had a cowboy hat. A Stetson. Yes. And not long after that, I, I bought my first pair of Wranglers. Cowboy boots. And Tammy bought me a nice leather belt with the name Bill and a big gold belt buckle. I was a cowboy. But Why? What changed? The, the reality was I never really liked the idea, but I wanted to be part of the group. I, I felt like a sore thumb, you know, because I, I just couldn't relate to them. So little by little, I replaced my own identity with something that wasn't who I was to become relatable to them. And the sad, as soon as I quit that job, I quit being a cowboy. But it made me understand something about human nature, about how we are. Because we want to fit in so bad, even in the body of Christ. We will lose our identity to become relatable. This church has its own identity. God designed this church to be unique. You are unique in this church. You don't need to lose your identity to become relatable. Because there is a special anointing on each of you, a special anointing on this body, on this community that other community churches don't have. Because God made you that way. He designed you. He, he put Dale and Steve and all the, the people who were here in the beginning of this fellowship here for a reason. And you're here for a reason. I want to see a church that's so filled with the Holy Spirit that when you come into a meeting and you're in the presence of the Holy Spirit, you begin to hear words of prophecy. You begin to hear words of knowledge. You begin to hear the Holy Spirit go, pray for him. He's got cancer. Heal. You know? He begins to use you to do the work of the ministry, not just here, but out there. It would be a sad state of affairs if the body of Christ... Quit doing its job and are happy just sitting down receiving pre-chewed food. Because you were called for greater things. You weren't called to look at people like us and think, wow. No, you were called to be the wow. You were called to be the wow. I think of Brother Dale. I, I so honor this man. What a man of integrity. What a man who, who has been like a father figure for us for all these years. But we wouldn't be in Chiapas if, if it weren't for him. He's a man of faith. As long as I've known him, I mean, he's ready to go. I mean, he'd go to China tomorrow if he could. Right, Dale? Yee-hee! But that's the life of faith. And I really want to challenge you to do that. 
When you pray, you say, God, what is my part in this? Don't think about what's somebody else's part. What is my part in this? What do you want me to do in these days for your kingdom? Are there people around you that don't know Jesus and because you're chicken, you don't want to tell them? And I don't mean that to make you feel bad. Because there have been times I felt chicken. But God has sent his spirit to give you what you need to do the work of the ministry. And I want to challenge you. Be active listeners. When you're outside, when you're in your car, when you're in, the, in your work, be active listeners. What is the Holy Spirit telling me to do right now? When I was working for Steve for a short time between uh, Romania and Mexico, I met a couple, <clears throat> Francisco and Jeanette. Francisco is, some of you might know him, he's a Cuban, and Jeanette's from Venezuela. And they were working in the amp assembly area or rep, re, repair area, and I got to know them. And I got to witness to them. And I started talking to them about Jesus, and they both got born again, and they actually started coming to, to New Covenant. But I was so desperate that they had a manifestation, that they saw the power of God, that their faith didn't rest in my words, but in the power of God. So one day, Francisco loves uh, dumpster diving. I don't know if he still does. Because in Cuba, they don't throw away stuff like we throw away. And he would go there and pull all kinds of stuff out, construction stuff. And I remember one time at his house, we built a garage uh, out of leftover wood, and it was two-story. I remember being on the top of that thing and the whole thing moving. I'm not sure this guy knows how to build, but it was cheap. Well, one day, he invites me to go to an auction here behind 40 North. There, There used to be an old, like a piggly wiggly supermarket or something that was abandoned and it's pretty big and so the auction house had filled this place up with pallets and boxes and all things construction that had been used and left over and they were just selling it and he invited Tammy and I to go to the auction and then afterwards on Saturday we were going to go have waffles at the waffle house that was that was the that was the hook that's how we got So we said, sure. And I had been praying, Lord, please manifest your presence. Show them, show them how powerful you are. Show them that you are God. And I remember we walked into the the auction. It had been going on for an hour. And uh, they had already sold all kinds of stuff. And uh, the wives were bored, you know. Uh, The guy was going, hey, one of us, sold, whatever. And uh, so we told Francisco, we're ready to leave. Ready to go. He goes, just wait one more. I want to bid on this pallet. It was full of electrical stuff. Sure, sure. So he bid on it. He got it. So we started carting the stuff from the pallet to his pickup. And in one of these, I passed by a group of people that were on the floor, hands and knees, in a circle. And there was a lady. I remember this. She was crying. What's going on? So I asked, what happened? Did someone lose their contact lens? No, she goes, I lost my diamond. It's worth $3,000. And she was the lady who had been reaching into all the boxes, showing what was in it before. She was the aide to the auctioneer. I lost my diamond. My, my husband's going to kill me. 
Well, I, being the spiritual person that I am, as I walked away, think, they'll never find that. <laughs> Literally, I was thinking that. So as I'm coming back from the pickup to go get another load, I walk by this other pallet with a box about this high, full of old used extension cords. And this clear in my mind, I hear the Holy Spirit say, it's in the box. So I don't stop to think. I just dive in. I start pulling cords out. And someone had already bought this. I could have been in trouble. I pull them all out, and I'm getting to the bottom, and it's full of dirt and paper, and there's a piece of glass down there. It looks like a piece of a windshield when you break it out. You know, they come in chunks. Nah. So I reach down there, and I pull out a diamond. A diamond worth $3,000 that looked like a piece of glass, and it was glass. And immediately I thought there are two types of unbelief. God doesn't do that. The other one was, I can't believe he did that. I mean, I really had to pinch myself. What? And I'm looking at this diamond, and I'm looking at the boxes and the pallets, and I'm thinking, this is just not real. It was very real. And uh, Tammy, actually, she was the more spiritual one. She had been praying that the lady would find it, so it was her fault. So I walk over to the lady who's about to call her husband on the phone to give him the bad news. And I tap her on the shoulder, and I, I say, this sounds like an old hippie. Because I said, she turns around, and I said, ma'am, Jesus loves you. And she looked at me like, are you on drugs? What is your problem? And she goes back to call, and I tap her again. I said, no, you don't understand. Jesus really loves you. I got her attention then. And in them, that, that, and there was Francisco and Jeanette, and they were watching, and they saw what a miracle that was. I mean, the, the odds of that ever happening in a million years. I, I, sometimes if I get discouraged, I just have to remember that story. God speaks. God sees. God loves. God is so cool. That was so cool. That's what he wants from us. I'm not special. We're not special. But the Holy Spirit is constantly looking for those who are willing to be used. And that's what makes us relevant. If you've been filled with the, the Holy Spirit and you just spoke in tongues one time, I encourage you, go into your bedroom and just start speaking in tongues. Just start encouraging yourself in the Spirit. Just start building yourself up in the Spirit and you're going to find you hear His voice. And it gets better and better. And there are cool things that are going to happen to you. You might find diamonds. You might find other things. Well on your property of oil. I don't know. <clears throat> but I really want to challenge you. It's more than a one-time event being baptized. It's being filled. And a church that's filled with his Holy Spirit is a church that will be so relevant. So relevant. It will be so much more than a church that can be relatable. Because people can come here and find healing and find restoration and find what, what God has prepared for them. And I want you all to be involved in that. Amen? Well, that is my word, brother. I love you guys.
I was going to tell you one thing I forgot. <laughs> Another picture of the difference between a relevant church and a, a relatable church is the difference between a dove and a pigeon. You know, doves are, are very sensitive. You know, the Holy Spirit's symbolized as a dove. It's very sensitive. Doves are hard to train. Doves are very skittish. They don't like to, to put nests where there are lots of people. On the other, the opposite, pigeons are just totally, they're invaders, you know. They, they, they make messes everywhere, you know. And sometimes we can be confused where we go to a church and we think it's actually the dove moving, but it's really just pigeon religion. You know, and so the walk of the Spirit is learning how to discern when I'm in a, a place, is this the Holy Spirit? And know that that when he says, son that or daughter, that's not me, that you can go, oh, wow, that, yeah, that's just a pigeon. Anyway, I wanted you to have that. Well, Tam, why don't you come up here? We're going to, let's uh, stand up and we'll just pray, okay? See what the Holy Spirit has to say. Just really quick, I, I want to give you, I'm a storyteller. So um, a few years ago, I had said to Bill, do you think we could possibly, if we save pennies um, in about five or six years when it was our, it would be our 40th, we could go to Alaska. And um, he said, well, we could just put money aside. And I said, if we got the cheapest boat and we got the room in the middle of the boat, you know, I've always wanted to go to Alaska. And so we were talking about this, how we could save up a little money to try to do this someday. And um, about a week and a half later, I got a phone call from a couple, and they said, hey, we're about to um, go off into vacation. We want to invite you guys to go to Alaska, and we're going to pay for everything. And so um, they flew us to Vancouver, and then from Vancouver we got on a, a like a nice boat, and we they got they got a room for us. We had a balcony. It was a, absolutely a trip of a lifetime for us. And um, but on the way back, when we were we stopped in Vancouver um, to catch our flight back to Mexico City that morning in the hotel, I was so grateful, and I was just telling Lord, Lord, I have my antennas out today. If there's anything you want to do with me, here's my my antennas out. I want to hear your voice. And so as we went down to get onto the shuttle, um, I, I noticed a woman getting on and she was holding her back and there was a young man with her and, um, and we were saying goodbye to our friends and, and, um, and as we got off the shuttle in front of the Vancouver airport, which is a, an international airport, huge airport, um, and, and as she got off again, she was holding her back and I said, as Bill was getting the luggage, I said, are you okay? And she said, I just had an accident. I went over the top of the handlebars on a bicycle and my son and I have a, a long trip today and I'm in so much pain. And so Bill's getting the, the bags. There's all this movement, you know, in front of the airport. And I said, can I pray for you? And she said, yeah, but I think she thought I was going to go home and pray for her, not in the middle of the street. And so I just laid hands on her and I started praying and asking for the mercy of the Lord on her and for her trip. And she was touched and, you know, and, and, um, and then we went on and went in. We had about two hours before our flight. And as we went up to, to do our tickets, our tickets, it kind of, I don't remember if we had separate seats. Something was wrong with the seats. And Bill said, we haven't paid for anything. Let's just pay for the flight. I mean, to change the, the seats. And we got two aisle seats because when you get older, you have to get up and go to the bathroom more. So we, we got a two aisle seats where we could stretch our legs out and, and ride across from each other. So um, thousands of people in and out the airport, um, I don't know, flights going all over the world. And as I sit down on my, on my seat, 
um, I have two seats beside me open and Bill's got two on his side. And I look up and when I look up, it's the woman I've prayed for um, on the shuttle bus. And I'm kind of in shock. I'm looking at her and I'm and her son's looking at me and he's looking at his ticket and he's looking at me again. And their seats were right beside me. And, um, and I knew I had one of those cold chills. It's just one, your whole body goes like this. Okay, the Lord's up to something. I don't want to blow it. And, and um, so they, they move in and sit down beside me. And when they did, um, I just started praying, asking the Lord what I was supposed to do and how he wanted. And I just got, they, you know, we started talking. I was sharing with them about what we were doing. And I had this woman for the next couple of hours just sharing. And she was just weeping, weeping. And the Lord had touched her and given her relief from, from her pain. And um, I said, you don't understand. I don't believe in coincidence. I, I, I prayed today, and we changed our seats. And she said, but you don't understand. She said, we changed our seats. And um, she said, we were separated, and my son was worried about me, so he changed our seats. And it was the most divine appointment for the next, a whole way from uh, Vancouver to Mexico City, just having the opportunity to share the gospel with them and encourage them and pray with them. And this is how God wants us to be. He wants us to be alert to him. And I just, I want to give you that testimony because our life is like that. It, these things happen all the time. That The Lord is putting us into situations. Um, just, it, it's just, I said, this is the, it's a hard, it's not an easy life at all. It's not easy. And, um, and there are some tremendous battles that we go through. But it's so rich. It's a rich life of faith. It's a life of living, and you're making a, you're just making a difference with your life. And I, the last thing I want to tell you is thank you. You guys, this church has been our rock for so many years and has supported us, has prayed for us. Um, you've just, you've made sacrifices for us to be there. You've visited us there, and we love you guys. I mean, really, I hope you can hear that. From the very bottom of our heart, we love this church, and we love the people of this church, and we are so grateful for all of you that have supported and prayed for us for through the years. I just want to thank you. Well, let's just pray. Why don't we just um, be active listeners right now, okay? So just close your eyes, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. He speaks. Maybe he'll give you a an image in your mind or a word will come to you. But let's just, Holy Spirit, I pray. You are the one who ministers. You are the one who knows exactly what we need to hear, exactly what we need, the assignment you want to give us. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, manifest your presence in us and in this place. We know that you're here. We honor you. We acknowledge you, and we need you. I pray right now. I pray, Jesus.